The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran burger king duncan kfc 7-eleven del taco tim hortons white castle nope that wasn't a commercial for a lot of fast food places, but these are places where vegan options are now available. It's not perfect. They're often served with eggs from chickens and cheese from cows, but oh my goodness, it is an opening. And as someone who will celebrate her 30th, 36th vegan anniversary this November, It's something that I'm not sure I ever dreamed I would live to see. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. It is such a joy to be speaking with everybody today in the midst of so much that's going on in the vegan world. And I do want to do a shout out to a very personal sponsor for today's program, and that is Main Street Vegan Academy. That means that if you want to take your outreach to the next level, the professional level even, you can get yourself to New York City for six magical days, learn from an incredible incredible faculty that includes a medical doctor, a registered dietitian, an animal rights attorney, a vegan fashion designer, all sorts of amazing people. And you leave after some great fun and great food and field trips as a certified Main Street Vegan lifestyle coach and educator. So do check us out at MainStreetVegan.net. It would be such an honor and privilege to have you in the Main Street Vegan Academy family. Well, you're already in the Main Street Vegan podcast family. So happy to have you and to introduce to you today's guests. After the break, we will be talking with Isaac Thomas from Vegan Nation. And right now, I'm so pleased to be introducing Lisa Kammerer, 
who's internationally known for work across interfacing concerns of justice. She's the founder of Tapestry Women's Institute of Integrative Justice. She is a philosopher activist and the award-winning author of nine books, including Sister Species, Animals and World Religions, and Eating Earth. You can find Lisa at Lisa Kemmerer. That's got three M's in total. And I will put that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, LisaKemmerer.com. And you can also see her in the film, A Prayer for Compassion. Welcome, Lisa. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to have you. You were recommended quite a while ago by Bonnie Goodman, who is a wonderful artist, vegan artist, and more damn art. You can find her there. And she's a Main Street Vegan Academy graduate. And she said, you have to have Lisa Kemmerer. And we kind of did some back and forth. And now here you are. I'm so happy that this day is the day. So for those listeners who may not be familiar with your work, fill us in. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, I'm an activist and a scholar all at once, and I guess fundamentally an activist, a person who cares deeply about suffering and tries very hard in my life to, to make meaning with that understanding that suffering is not a good thing and that our lives have meaning more when we're reaching out than when we're centered within. So trying to make my life um, an, um, an action, something that helps to bring the change that I think is necessary. That's lovely. And I recall in your part in A Prayer for Compassion, you talked about being a moral philosopher. What, what is moral philosophy? Well, ethics um, as an academic field is like most academic fields, rather dry. But what it basically is, is it looks at how we should live and why that's the case. So philosophy has to do with a love of wisdom, and this wisdom is particularly connected with how we ought to live. And how ought we live? Well, uh, you'd have you hard-pressed, you'd go far and wide to find anywhere where compassion isn't very high on the list. And however that's envisioned, ahimsa, or love, or compassion, or uh, benevolence, or munificence, all of the things that make me a vegan are part of some of those really high ideals that every society and every community holds dearly. So how did you get to be a regular little girl who grew up to be a moral philosopher? Tell us your story. <laughs> That's a great question, because uh, I grew up rurally, and, and it really, it was not I mean, if I look back, I suppose the signs were there all along, but I was just basically a person who was very sensitive um, and not, not, not mainstream, not someone who fit in well with the mainstream community, but one who thought quietly on my own and felt very deeply. And those were the sorts of things that ultimately led, led me to become an activist. And becoming a philosopher was really a means of bringing change for the world. And when in my life, and I just saw the world that was in such a state of angry violence and hurt, and I wanted so much to do something. I wanted my life to be meaningful. And that meaningful life for me meant becoming a teacher and in some way trying to affect the next generation and, and keep them thinking about these things and thinking about how they live and filling their heads with higher ideals and not just always with our world's busyness, but something deeper and, and that I hope will be more meaningful when they look back in the long run. 
I love that you said that you're a philosopher. As a little girl, I used to think that's what I want to be, but I think you had to be Socrates or somebody from a long time ago. So good for you for bringing that forward. So what about your vegan story? A lot of people are ethical or believe themselves to be very ethical, but they don't get that piece. What happened for you? My big sister, I suppose. But if I look closely, it was always in me. I was very sensitive to the suffering of animals when I was very young. Uh, I remember I remember incidences of feeling with things like as, as, as small as spiders and just thinking, why did that person crush that spider just because they saw that spider? And um, being one who would look after and care for anything that needed looking after and caring for and hurting by things that suffered, it kind of leaned me towards information when I found out that my diet was causing suffering. I was pretty quick to say, well, surely there are other things to eat. And this was the early 80s, so actually there were not very many other things to eat. But I did become a vegan um, early on when there weren't a lot of alternative, uh, alternative cheeses, alternative ice creams. In fact, there weren't any. And I, I found that I still had plenty to eat. And there's just plenty more now. <laughs> so yes. this is good. The, the so more you've, you've been in the movement a long time, uh, 30 years and, and counting. So just go into some detail for us, Lisa. How has choosing vegan shaped your life? Well, it certainly made me healthier. Um, but I think most importantly, I, I actually use an acronym, AMORE, um, the, the term for love in Latin, to look at the various interconnected reasons to be vegan. And I would say that going vegan started me on a path of broader compassion that I could never have envisioned. And I will also say that for many years, I was a very narrow vegan. And um, I'm, I'm happy to say that I did at some point bump into the right information to start recognizing that it isn't just about animals and it isn't about my health, although that was never a primary concern, but that it's about, um, it's about oppression. It's about workers in slaughterhouses and it's about people being hungry and not having enough food because we're feeding so much food in wealthier countries to farm animals. Um, so there's these other, there's these other elements and Amore. So the first is the animal suffering and the second is the medical and the health reasons and the O is the oppression for the workers and world hunger. And the R is for religion because there is no religion out there that teaches us to cause unnecessary suffering. And finally, the last one, environment. Because when we choose to, to eat animal products, we are harming our earth astronomically more than we would need to. So by becoming vegan, you can see how far this has carried me from that young person who said, when my sister showed me a flyer on downed cows, I said, I don't want to be part of that. And now I see so many other things that I'm so glad I'm not part of. That is the most beautiful acronym. T tell us that again. I'd like to put that in the show notes. So it's amore, which we already know means love. So we've got animals and then what? Medical or health, medical. so medical reasons. Mm -hmm. So, And medical reasons is not just your health, but the cost of medical care because we're doing something that's self-destructive. So financially, it's important. And the O is for oppressions. So, of course, we're oppressing animals, but the important things to notice, it isn't just animals. We're oppressing all of the workers who work in places like slaughterhouses. 
I mean, who among us wants to work in a slaughterhouse? So we have to put our, our dollars down in places that we would want to work. And, and, and those are not factory farms. And then, of course, the last one is world hunger. And of our crops, we, we actually feed 70% of our grain crops in the United States, 70% to farmed animals while people go without grains and, and they're hungry. And the consumption, of, you know, think of a cow and what they eat. You can feed a, um, I, I actually did the math on it, you could feed a family, a family that ate grains could eat for a year, a family of five, on what a factory farmed um, cow eats in just a couple of months at a, um, at a feedlot. So we really have to think about what we eat, not just because of the animals and ourselves, but if we genuinely have compassion for the larger, for the environment, um, which, which is harmed by animal agriculture and people that are harmed by animal agriculture. And the last one is the, I'm sorry, I skipped R for religion. Oppression is the O, then R for religion, amore, showing that love and compassion are central to every religion. And then finally, environment. And I've written two books on environment. And that's because I learned that there is climate change, the number one causes animal agriculture. And that's huge in the news. But what we hear less about is that animal agriculture is also the number one cause of pretty much every major environmental problem from not just climate change, but um, freshwater reduction, uh, dead zones, pollution, deforestation, soil depletion, all of those, uh, the number one cause of all of those is animal agriculture. And you know this, I know this, probably the listeners know this. What about your colleagues at the university, people teaching environmental sciences? Do they know it or do they not know it or do they know it and they're just not talking about it? Why, why is this so hard to come out into the open? Well, this is one of the wonderful things about how over 30 plus years I've gotten to see this movement change. When I first started teaching in Billings, Montana, where I am now, people, my students did not know what vegan was. They had never heard the word. Now, and I have about 140 students probably, I don't know, every year I must have at least that many. And now, you know, not only is it the larger world changing, but each of us working as vegans in our communities are helping to bring change. And I have seen that change right here in Montana. But you can also just feel it in, in the wider picture. You see the world changing around you. Um, what was your question? I'm sorry, I lost track of it. No, about your fellow academics. Ah, yes. Thank you. Okay, mm -hmm. so... So I have seen that change and I know now that the larger world is aware of veganism and aware of climate change and the connections, but the academics are slower to react. So my students who are young and they get this information, um, I've seen, you know, I've seen um, vegan potlucks arise in my community and I've seen um, just changes. A restaurant kind of came that, well, it did come that was vegan and it's still there. It's kind of pricey, but it's there. So I see these changes, but people themselves, um, especially, and I live in a ranching community, accepting that this number one economic um, center of Montana is a problem is hard and it's not popular. So people are careful and they're disinterested. They don't want to change their diets. So it's kind of the same as everywhere in the world, um, people, when they first bump into this, there's often some resistance. We aren't creatures who are excited about changing what we eat. Um, so 
I think academics are a little bit slow to come to the table, if you will. And yet, even though you may be around some colleagues who are a bit slow, I think that you probably have one of the best human lives on earth, and that is in academia. And it seems that you're allowed to be so multifaceted. I know that in, in the world where I live, being an author of, of books in the popular press and books for the mass market, um, writers like me are definitely pigeonholed and we're yes. supposed to stay in our area where we have following. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you've written, good Lord, you've written about bears and, and primates and religion and intersectionality and ecology. I mean, what's what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's next is um, probably looking at violence, backing up and looking at violence more generally. I want to do some work on abortion. So it just keeps spiraling outward. And it's one of the things that I I do love about how how being a vegan has shaped my life. It has not only helped me to connect with all these different social justice concerns, but it's helped me to have an interest in things that I that I never would have explored. Or I mean, the book on primates, the book on bears, just as an example, those are megafauna that people are so interested in. And they have no idea how something like your diet is helping to determine that that the bear and the Primates are, most, almost all of the primates are extremely endangered. They're losing habitat. What's taking their habitat? Planting soy and raising cattle. Oh, those tofu eaters, they're killing the primates. No, <laughs> they're, they're feeding the soy to the cows and the chickens and the pigs, but especially the cows. So, you know, this is the, this is the wonderful thing that I find about being a scholar, is my understanding of these, the interconnected natures of these problems um, has is just it's exponential, and I will say that sometimes I, I suppose one of the flaws of my scholarship is that I don't dig deep and just down, 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 down till I know every nuance of of a subject. I'm far more interested in how they're interconnected and how something like caring about animals and becoming a vegan, in the end, makes us makes you so that you have to question. Um, question not just aspects of your life that have to do with animals, but also have to do with poverty and world hunger and have to do with the treatment of workers in factories. I mean, I, I just think that as I age, expanding my compassion and reaching, looking for and reaching out to the full extent of where this compassion needs to go and ought to go and how it's all connected to caring about animals. Mm. Well, I'm going to go where few women fear to, uh, many women fear to tread, angels too, <laughs> and that is you did mention abortion, and yes. this is something that we almost never talk about in mm -hmm. the vegan world, mm -hmm. and yet I think we need to, and I know mm -hmm. there are people with very differing views on this, and I think those differing views just need to be allowed to exist and be discussed. So I would be interested in your take on it. I agree with you that it is something we don't discuss. <clears throat> and when we do, there's, there's often edges. And I try very hard as a scholar to just be interested in the ideas. And what my brain is good at is analyzing and in critical analysis. So when I look at the topic of abortion, I'm interested in looking at 
the comp a, a genuine comparison. So if people say that if you care about animals, you must be against abortion. So then you ask, well, why is that? Um, compassion leads us to care about animals. Does compassion honestly lead us to be against abortion? So um, in, in the this will be the, my next book that comes out, how I analyze this, but I can tell you a couple key ideas here. One thing that is often left out, <clears throat> especially with regard to compassion, is the idea that there is a woman involved who is unhappily pregnant. And that's extremely important to account for. Yes, you're taking a life, and no, you can't say it's somehow other than a human life. It's a human life. But it is important to recognize that that human life it isn't even sentient in the first uh, at least six months. So these are obviously very, very key differences that have to be accounted for and discussed and talked about and put on the table, not in the sense of I want to defend a point of view, but if we're going to make this comparison, we have to look honestly at how well the comparison holds up. Very interesting. I've done one show on this topic. I had um, the wonderful legal couple from uh, Cornell <laughs> who mm. wrote, wrote the book about, uh, it's called Beating Hearts. I um, have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then I had um, Charles Camozzi, who I believe is in the same job as you, a moral <laughs> philosopher, a professor at, at Fordham. We didn't go into a lot of detail, and he's coming from a different angle. So, you know, we're expecting the omnivore world out there to be very brave, to try a new kind of burger and a new kind of cookie <laughs> and a new kind of whipped cream and talk about veganism. And so I think that we too need to be brave and talk about some of these uh, uncomfortable things. So thank you so much for weighing in on that. Now you have a, a latest venture that's called Tapestry. That sounds pretty. What does it mean? Uh, it's Tapestry. It's Women's Institute of Integrated Justice. And it's looking as I age, again, trying to get perspective on my life has been increasingly important to me and to think more carefully about where I'm going. And, and I would guess I say in the final chapter, in the last 20 or maybe 30 years, if I'm healthy, that, uh, that I live, I want, to, I want to give more back. I want to be more intentional in sharing um, my, you know, getting on 40 years of activism and work in the field and looking back at some of the mistakes I made in, in you know, also just early in the movement, we didn't get the interconnected nature of, of the field and the subject and of veganism. And so wanting to hand that forward, Women's Institute of Integrated Justice allows me to work with women. And I want to work with women because always they're they tend to be, uh, I guess the word would be disadvantaged in comparison with males in our society. They're, they hold less power, so that gives them less possibilities. And I know that was certainly the case for me as I came up in, into the world of academics and research. And um, I mean, it's just the way of the world. And so wanting to work with them, to hand to them directly, as much as I can, as much as they're interested, those doing research, those writing, those interested in the subject, being part of actively sharing what I know. That sounds wonderful. Is this an online institute or in person? It's going to have a place. And um, I'm not sure exactly where yet. It's been ongoing um, 
an ongoing thought for me how this is all going to work out. I, I would like to retire and focus on it entirely. Um, right now, you can go to my website and there's a link for Tapestry and you can read about it. Um, and anyone interested in supporting it, it would be greatly appreciated. It is a new institute. And when I give up my job, it's going to be kind of exciting to figure out how it's all going to work out. But it will. I have confidence that one way or another, just as I've managed to get here in my life, kind of straggling along day to day, it will all come together. Things tend to. And, you know, when I said that the abortion question was going to be controversial, I forgot about this other question I wanted to ask you. So we're just doing that controversial ethicist interview. (laughs) And that is your upcoming book, Oppressive Liberation. Mm. What's that got in it? Well, that's looking carefully at the movement and some of the problems in the movement. And I think that, again, looking, it's like you said, looking critically, being willing to be open. We can't ask others to change if we are not willing to change. And I have seen for years, uh, there's been knowledge that there's some serious sexism in, in the movement. And this book looks directly at that. So when you say the movement, are you talking about animal rights? Because when I look out there and I see so many things happening for veganism, and I see that the animal rights movement is one movement under this huge umbrella, where do you place all that? It's so interesting because I do include that. I do definitely discuss that. But I think the vegan movement falls under the animal, animal activists. It's under the larger movement. Does that make sense? Do you think that's true? I guess I don't, because I have so many dealings with the health side of it, with the whole food plant-based movement, with people who are doing it. There's a new medical journal, International Journal of Plant Disease Reversal and Prevention, and Mm -hmm. and they're not talking about the animals, although 98% of them come to be very open to animal issues and animal suffering and caring about them. Yes. But... uh, and, and I see all these businesses with the vegan food. So I guess I'm feeling that vegan is the bigger umbrella. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I guess the way I put it is that there is the, the animal activists, and there's definitely a strong vein of veganism, but it, it also is branched in itself, and the branch crosses a line, and many of the branches go into a world that is simply not animal activism. Does that suit better? It It does. I wish you were my teacher. (laughs) Your fantasy, well, yours, I guess, isn't a fantasy because you have a real job and you actually will retire and go somewhere wonderful and do tapestry. And my fantasy, um, because of the life that I have chosen, I will be um, working on the way to the mortuary, is um, go to school. And I was very interested, my husband the other day, who was not interested in any of these things when I met him 22 years ago, said that if he could do anything, he would go to Union Theological Seminary and study religion. Even though he's not sure what he really believes, he would just go and study. So wonderful. That was cool. Sounds like a wonderful partner. Uh, I am very blessed, and I'm blessed to know people like you, Lisa Kemmerer. So check out the website, her many wonderful books. We will list lots of those on the show notes, and stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Thank you, Victoria. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of today's inspiring and illustrative program. Um, I want to let you know that if you go to MainStreetVegan.net and click where it says, I want to be a Main Street Vegan, that you will be part of this family and you will get all sorts of information about things that are going on in the world of Main Street Vegan, uh, like the blog every week, which uh, today I actually wrote myself. It's called A Vegan View of the Rebirth of Wonder. If you don't know that wonderful Lawrence Ferlinghetti poem about I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a rebirth of wonder. Well, you know what? I think we're having one in everything that is going on in the vegan world. Something else I want to draw your attention to, and I will put this in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, is that I am going to be doing a, a four-week online course through Unity's Spiritual Explorers program. The course is called Compassionate Eating. So it's an introduction to veganism for people who are just getting started, and it's also a deep dive into veganism, food choices, and spirituality. So even if you've been vegan for a while, you do need to check that out. I will put all the information, as I said, there in the show notes, or you can just Google Compassionate Eating and Spiritual Explorers. You'll find us. So hope to have you in class. Now my next guest is somebody that I have admired from afar for a little while now because he is doing things that are so future thinking that I can barely get my mind around this. And yet when I read it, when I study it, I see, oh yeah, this is the wave of the future and this guest is making it happen. He is Isaac Thomas of Vegan Nation. You can find them at vegannation.io. Isaac's career spans 17 years of entrepreneurial ventures in real estate and healthcare. And his passion for promoting a healthy vegan lifestyle goes back to his earliest years in business. And they've come back full circle when several years ago he completed his health transformation and dedicated his life to the vegan lifestyle. He found it wonderful, but not easy back then. And he's dedicated to make it, oh my gosh, more than easy, universal. Welcome, Isaac Thomas. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to you too. And thank you for having me on. It's wonderful to be talking to you. So where are you? Are you in Tel Aviv or London? I'm in Tel Aviv right now. Okay. I know you have uh, offices in both places. So let us in on Vegan Nation. What is it? Well, Vegan Nation, uh, I think it's a uh, pretty self-explanatory uh, in the name itself. It's a vegan nation which already exists in the world. Uh, the definition of the word nation is a group of people that come around uh, shared ideas, ideologies, set of values, um, and, and, um, and a certain uh, uh, vision and outlook for the world. And that is 
the, the that and uh, 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 that itself is the definition of uh, many many vegans around the world. Uh, there are about 300 million vegans around the world, and yes, maybe they they are in uh, different uh, geographical places, but uh, veganism aspires to uh, a world uh, beyond borders. And today we have the, technolo the, the uh, technological infrastructure and ability to connect people from around the world beyond borders. So there's no one like the vegan community that fits the definition of the word nation. So what we're doing is we are uniting everyone into this nation and building the, technolog the, the uh, technological infrastructure for this amazing nation to uh, create itself, build itself, um, and flourish uh, with everyone around the world taking part of it. That is exciting. Now, I know that part of Vegan Nation, a nation has a currency, and Vegan Nation has vegan coin. So explain to us how this works. Absolutely. So... I always say a nation is as strong as its economy, and an economy is as strong as its currency. Every nation in the world has to have that triangle in order to be a strong economy. People still think about veganism as a few tree huggers and hippies uh, that are running around barefoot. And, but if you would take the vegan community and put them into a geographical country, um, into a physical place, it would be the strongest economy in the world. You have about 300 million people, 50% of them are between the ages of 16 to 34. O over 80% uh, uh, are, are uh, college graduates. If you would put them into a country, it would be the strongest economy. So the, the community, the nation already exists. We're uniting them. The vegan economy exists. It's easy to define what a vegan economy is. There's vegan restaurants, vegan fashion, vegan cosmetics. Everything we consume falls into the category of a vegan economy. And we're uh, bringing the missing link of a vegan currency, which will build a triangle and advance veganism further and show the world that veganism is a is the strongest consumer base and a strong uh, financial uh, and a strong financial uh, uh, community. Now, the um, the idea of the vegan coin, which is a digital currency, is someone can be the biggest vegan activist, but if you walk around with a hundred dollar bill in your pocket. That $100 bill most likely was maybe at uh, McDonald's yesterday, and tomorrow it's going to be at the butcher shop across the street from you. And it's supporting everything that you would never want to support when it comes to your food or to your products. Now, up to today, you didn't have much, uh, 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 much of a choice. You had to play uh, within their current financial system and use that $100 bill. But now... With the rise of digital currencies, where everything is moving uh, towards digital, we can design a digital currency that takes into consideration and that is coded around 
the Jewish values and the 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 uh, uh, the, um, the, uh, the vegan values and the vegan mindset, and we can incentivize uh, vegan behavior. We can uh, uh, make sure that uh, people get uh, th- that they get uh, rewarded for good behavior and for building and helping to advance the um, the vegan economy. So. With a digital currency, we're able to, uh, so uh, I'll call it quote unquote, social engineer uh, good behavior uh, with the fact that uh, we're building a transparent digital currency. So that's how the idea of a vegan coin came to mind. It's fascinating. Anyone who listened last week and heard Dr. Silas Rao, he was talking about an enlightened economy where more rewards would come for doing good, where in the current economy, that's not really there. Uh, it's, it's there to an extent, but not certainly where we would want it to be. And now you're talking about making this possible. Now, this is not some future thing. Vegan coin already exists. How do we get some? Correct. So this is not uh, something uh, futuristic. I see this as the natural evolution of uh, veganism, where veganism started by, okay, we're not going to kill animals, to not exploiting them, to not uh, using any of the products, to uh, go out and be active about it, um, and so on and so on. And now we're at the, at, the, at the natural stage of evolution where we can take it to money. And the world is going digital. Most of our payments um, are fully digital. Uh, many places in the world, there's no cash already. So to some people, maybe a digital currency sounds uh, too futuristic, but the world is moving there very fast. And vegan coin already exists. So we are currently in the launching process of the vegan coin. And uh, by the end of the year, it will be live for people to be able to use around the world on the Vegan Nation app um, and around vegan businesses uh, uh, throughout the world. We have about uh, 3,000 vegan businesses and organizations that announced already they will accept vegan coin as a method of payment uh, in their businesses. So the idea is uh, to get to many, many more businesses around the world that will start uh, transacting in this new way in order to build a true vegan economy. So when you're looking at what businesses you will accept, would a non-vegan business that offered vegan items be part of that or only strictly vegan businesses? So the, on the Vegan Nation app, it's for any vegan uh, product. So um, if, if a business uh, has a wide range of products, they will be able to sell their vegan products on Vegan Nation. And my, my vision, my aspiration is that um, when other businesses and other corporations see the demand for vegan products, they're going to increase uh, those products and, uh, and bring more products to the market. And that, will bring ve- and that will make veganism easier and more accessible and more affordable. So my, I feel that my role um, at this given moment where we are 
is to help their transition, to help to be the bridge from the old world to the new world uh, by showing current uh, corporations, current financial uh, 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 bodies that veganism is a strong financial uh, power and that everyone wants to be part of this new economy and that everyone wants to play with uh, within this uh, these new rules. I love it. I love it. This is so exciting. And, and I know that you, like Dr. Rao, are envisioning and working toward Vegan World 2026. Absolutely. We're, we're working together on it. Uh, I was at the first uh, Vegan World 2026 conference in Arizona, and Dr. Silish is on our board. And uh, definitely, we. Uh, I, 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 I think that every vegan person is... Uh, is an ambassador for that uh, for that goal, and uh, some of us uh, uh, need to do more. And uh, but definitely, every vegan person takes uh, takes a huge role uh, in that uh, mission. And it's uh, can't think of a better mission. So, just for somebody who is out there listening and saying, "Huh, what? What is this exactly?" Is there anything even outside the vegan world that is sort of like this, this kind of consortium, this kind of community? Anything we could compare it to just to get a handle on what you're talking about? Um, I would say, first of all, the simple answer is no. Okay. But, <laughs> um, but there's no one at the same time, there's no one like the vegan community to really bring this new this new era in history uh, into fruition. I mean, there's no question that the world is moving towards uh, online communities and beyond border communities. And we're going to see the rise of new nations, of, of borderless nations uh, in the world that, uh, that, uh, that have now the ability to connect to each other. And again, I, I think um, because of where we are, because of where veganism are, is, and the level of and the uh, the level of uh, passion and activism that the vegan people have, I mean, uh, I really believe that vegan nation is is going to be the the first uh, global um, uh, nation to really rise. Um, uh, from this uh, technological infrastructure. I mean, that's not taking into consideration, you know, the big question that people ask is, is Facebook a nation or something like that? But I'm really talking about a group of people that, uh, that form online uh, based on uh, shared uh, ideologies and, and values and so on. So I, I, I really see vegan nation um, setting the, the path for many others to come. But I believe that veganism is the future of the world. And, uh, and with its uh, digital currency, it's definitely uh, going to, uh, to be very substantial for the future. This is incredible stuff. <laughs> it's funny. I was telling you before the, during the break that I have the Vegan Nation t-shirt and I didn't know what it was, but I keep wearing it thinking I am Vegan Nation and it's so cool now to find out what it is. And I actually have joined and, and I do want to be a part of that as an individual and, and also for my business. So with all the great news that's going on around veganism right now, we have had some 
difficult news around the world as well, one thing being the fires in the Amazon. So how do those affect you and Vegan Nation? Well, so first of all, that's an excellent point and topic. And before I get to how it affects Vegan Nation, uh, just my heart goes out to everything going on over there. Um, and the Amazon rainforest, um, I've been there twice and uh, I really I uh, feel horrible for what it's doing uh, to the world and what it's doing to Brazilians and what it's doing to the people of the Amazonas. Um, with that being said, that is uh, an amazing example of the role of vegan nation and vegan coin. We are on the rise to become a financial dominant player. And all the, the non-for-profits and NGOs are doing amazing, amazing work. But we have to start dominating and changing the way business goes on in the world. And that is the role of Vegan Nation. And with the Vegan Coin, we already uh, leased uh, thousands of acres in the rainforest for preservation to make sure that people cannot go in and destroy it, uh, cannot go in for uh, oil searches and so on and so on. So, and we, we paid for it with the vegan coin. So vegan nation and vegan coin is already doing amazing work in the, in the rainforest to protect it. Now, we also partnered up with uh, four soccer teams in Brazil from the north, from the Amazon, uh, and with uh, with the common goal and and uh, campaign together uh, to save the Amazon, to raise awareness to what's going on over there. Because obviously, po that politicians um, don't give a you know what about uh, about these issues. So we decided we're going to connect the sports world to raise awareness to what's going on. And again, we're able to connect the sports world because the financial, the financial aspect, the vegan coin. So yes, everyone wants to do good in the world, but together with the vegan coin, now we can incentivize companies, organizations, and people that would never think to partner up with an NGO. But now that they have also a financial incentive, now it's a it's it's a whole new game. We're able to to do things that uh, people have never imagined before. So uh, the goal is to raise more awareness through sports to save, uh, to save the, the, the rainforest. That is brilliant. I think so much is happening in the sports world with the game changers and the wonderful uh, no dairy ads uh, on the Winter Olympics last time. So, so much is happening there. Now, you think in such an innovative way, Isaac. So, just no, for, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, uh, I'm just crazy. Well, if crazy could be it. But yes. from, from the kind of human interest aspect, who are you that this is how you think, that this is what you would come up with? There are a lot of vegans, and you thought of this, which is revolutionary. So give us a little um, insight into you. Sure. Um, so my family is from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I grew up in Israel. I grew up in a very uh, religious background. 
Um, and by the age of 15, I decided to drop out of high school um, and start my journey in the business world. And uh, from a very young age, I knew that uh, I'm going to be a uh, builder. I'm going to be in construction. I'm going to be in real estate. So from a very young age, I was also taught uh, through my uh, my uh, background and uh, my family. I was always taught to think out of the box and to question everything. And that led me in business as well. I mean, one thing I remember from uh, my grandfather, uh, who died when he was uh, 96 years old a couple of years ago, whenever he used to see me, he used to ask me, Isaac, do you have a question? And he always told me, you should always walk around with a question. And that taught me really to question everything. And that leads you to think out of the box. If you're not thinking of a question, then you take things for granted. You take things as, oh, I can't change something or this is just the way it is. When you learn to question everything and to push yourself to the limits, then really different ideas come to your head. And um, definitely I'm very fortunate uh, to start uh, Vegan Nation, but by no means it's my idea or something like that. I, I really believe that anything that comes uh, into my head, into someone else's head, and uh, that really something that builds is, is, is a collective of everyone thinking about it together. And um, I just decided to move forward and act on it. Uh, but that's drawing off the energy of everyone else, uh, really doing amazing work and try, trying to, uh, to make an impact. So I realize that Vegan Nation is reaching out to vegans. You have a large community already, and you would like it to include every vegan on the planet. Where is the outreach to non-vegans? What, what part of Vegan Nation is helping to bring more vegans on board? So I will correct you, and I think that will answer your question. Okay. <laughs> I always say that vegan nation is for every person in the world during the moments they choose to live a vegan lifestyle. So I'm not, uh, I'm not going only for uh, vegans. I want everyone um, during the moments that they choose to live uh, or to try to make the world a better place uh, through the practice of uh, veganism. So it could be anyone uh, in the world. And by the way, one of my Lines is, I, I don't ask people, are you vegan or not, but how vegan are you? Because, um, <laughs> and if you spoke to Silish, actually, I, I heard this from Silish. So Silish says that 99% of, of the people in the world are actually vegan because the definition of a vegan is you will not harm an innocent animal for no reason. So no person, almost no person in the world would do that. What people do, they start justifying uh, their lifestyle and why they do something. So the way I see it is that some people are vegan 20% of the time, some people are vegan 50% of the time, and some people try to be vegan as close to 100% of the time as possible. And I want to make the vegan nation as the home for every person during the moments where they want to buy something vegan, they're thinking of something vegan, they're looking for some vegan ideas, some uh, vegan content, anything they want, they will be able to find on the Vegan Nation platform and marketplace. 
I love this. Okay, so what do you want the people listening right now to do? Probably most of them are vegan, some are veg curious. What should they do right now? First of all, they should close their eyes and pay gratitude to themselves for the good they're doing in the world. Second of all, uh, they should um, they should go to the app store and download the Veganation app, and let and together we are the pioneers of this vegan nation. Uh, we need the first pioneers uh, to really. Uh, join forces and help us, uh, you know, just like any state, any company, everything starts from the pioneers that uh, go in and are willing to get uh, to get their hands dirty. And I'm sure your listeners um, are the type of vegans that really want to not just see change in the world, but make change in the world. So uh, download the app, get involved in the community, spread the word. And together, we're going to really make this into the greatest nation in the world. Wow, that sounds like you're running for office. <laughs> no, nah, my, off my office is nature. I want to sit on the beach. I want to go into the forest. Vegan Nation is totally distributed. I'm not running for office. Oh. I don't want the power. I really want it. It's about the community building itself That's and uh, really growing. Oh, I, Isaac, bless your heart. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thanks for what you're doing. This is so exciting. Everybody, veganation.io, Vegan Nation Official on Facebook. And we'll put all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Next week, we're going to be talking with Seth Goldman, who is the executive chair of Beyond Meat. And Miyoko Shinner, the cheese whisperer, the magnificent uh, cheese goddess of Miyoko's kitchen. So that should be a wonderful thing. And you know what? This is a wonderful life. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting. Thanks to all of you for listening. Be blessed. Be happy. Be healthy. Be vegan. Till next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.